Hello, welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Seth. And I'm Jesse. This is episode number eight, and we'll be talking about the Mad Men episode, Dark Shadows. You'll find us on the web at madcast.net. Also, look for us on Facebook and iTunes. If you look up Scotch and Smokes, if you want to leave a comment or a message on our website, again, that's madcast.net. You can leave uh, comments there. So again, we'll be talking about Dark Shadows on this episode. Do you guys have any quickie comments before we jump into things? We'll talk about it a little bit, but not as good an episode as we've been getting, but still had a couple of uh, pretty cool moments. Now, you've said that a couple of times in the last couple of episodes. Mm. Is there anything that's um, detracting for you that's... Well, you know, I don't like Betty particularly. and um... <laughs> Well, she hasn't been on the, the show like but twice this season, right. really. So. And each time, I'm not sure... I don't know. I just didn't feel like as much happened this episode and there wasn't as many interesting interactions i think oh yeah it's funny because i've seen a lot of people i've been reading some of the blogs and some of the reactions yeah there are a few people who felt the way that jesse did they were not happy with this episode they thought the writing was a little bit flabby and some of the acting they thought was bad but uh i I don't know I, i didn't agree i thought it was a very good episode i don't know I mean, I will say that I thought some of the lines, like particularly Roger, were a little forced, just a little bit. It seems like he has to have certain one-liners during the show, and like he had some in there, and some were funny, And but it just seems like that's becoming like a staple that it was in there, and I just felt, in the beginning I noticed this. Towards the end, I was into the episode, and I didn't feel it as much, but I did feel it was not quite the regular voice of the show. Maybe it was just mm. because it, Matthew Weiner wasn't a co-writer of it or what have you. I don't know. I don't think the performances were lacking at all. I thought those were fine. I know a number of critics are taking it out on the Gilmore Girl actress, Alexis Bledel. They're saying she's, she looks great, but she's not much of an actress. They're also hitting the actor who plays Bobby Draper. They're saying he's just a kid actor and he's terrible. And of course... Yeah, they may be right about that. Okay, well, well, those are two, frankly, ridiculous statements, because first of all, Beth was only in this episode for like one scene. She had two lines, and she was thoroughly got my attention, so I don't know what... what they, well, yeah, no, they said they, she looked great. They, they, they admitted I mean, that, and I thought that was one of the great moments of the episode. Absolutely. That's the talked-about scene of the episode, and, right. you know, frankly, it was... However she acted in that scene was not how the character was supposed to act. It was what Pete was thinking her character was supposed to act like. So who can say really what that was supposed to have been? And I thought she was fine. As far as Bobby goes, give me a break. He's never been on the show more than having like one line that maybe like give me a peanut butter sandwich or just something. So, you know, give the kid a break. I mean, Sally's the... Sally's the focus here. Let's be realistic. And I I think this is the third kid that's played Bobby. Yeah, I, something I think, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, and I agree with you. I thought that Beth or Rory Gilmore, you know, looked good. But I also think, I mean, the whole idea is the sheer lunacy of Pete's fantasy. Right. You know, I mean, this whole, oh, I'd forgotten about you till I read about you in the New York Times. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> and Pete thinking everything is going to change because of his getting in this paper and yeah. and he's so freaking cocky. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just I love that Pete got his that Don told him at the end, "Don't wake me up to tell me about your failures." 
Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, Pete so, wanted to talk with look. Pete wanted to talk with somebody. Pete wanted to share his outrage with somebody. Right. Um, and obviously, he's not really connecting with Trudy anymore. I guess. I mean, he's he's not fantasizing about her. He's fantasizing about other women. He's sleeping with other women at least once. Trudy is no longer there for him for whatever reason, even though. Gee, I thought she was a pretty sympathetic character for a long time. The relationship seems to have run its course there, at least in terms of what Pete's thinking. All right, well, let's bring up Betty. I know you don't care for her, and who does, really? She's so just a nasty human being, but she was in the episode for the first time in a long time, and and she had a very pivotal influence on the episode, starting with the opening shot of her measuring carefully. And I will say... This is something I noticed, and I could be wrong, but I I just believe this, that the opening shot of you see her hands measuring and spooning off this thing onto this this thing. The first thing I said was, that's a hand model, because the fingers were thicker. They were more plump hands. Because the very next shot I was paying attention, I I don't know why that, it called attention to itself, to me. And I uh, next shot you see Betty, kind of medium close up, and uh, Mm. you see her hands again, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was not her hands, because they were big. Mm. But anyway... So that but, is such a Brian observation. Yeah. I mean, that is just <laughs> tremendous detail is, there, my goodness. That is the greatness of Brian, everyone. Uh, oh. see, and, and I could be completely wrong, so who knows? But, Maybe I And know. see, I, from my perspective, the first thought I said is, Oh look, Betty's on Weight Watchers because she's weighing everything. <laughs> and then immediately, you know, they cut later in the scene, which I've talked about this several times that it seems like, especially this season, there has been a moment in every episode that has, you know, the historical context of it. And seeing the women all attending a Weight Watchers meeting, smoking, listening, and to a certain degree, as someone who has attended his share of Weight Watchers meetings that didn't take, um, (laughs) they still do the same things. They still have the same talks. Do you have a plan for Thanksgiving? What are you going to do? And uh, so that part of the episode was incredibly satisfying for me because I think they really got it right. And yeah, the struggle too. Betty's having with her weight, you know, when she gets frustrated and throws the whipped cream in her mouth, you know, <laughs> and then spits it out and like, no, no, no. Well, that's true, Jesse, but you have to remember why she's doing that. I mean, She's comparing herself right before the whipped cream in the mouth. She's comparing herself to what Megan now has, which is a very modern apartment and a fabulous body. And she remembers what she used to have. And that's comparing yourself to Megan, my God. I mean, that's that's really difficult. And I do think they did a great job showing her jealousy in the apartment and then the scenes of seeing the 25-year-old that's had no children compared to her body, three kids. She's in her um, late 30s, I, we assume, right? Uh, if no, Don 30 just somewhere, 40, yeah. Yeah, she's comparing herself and finding wanting. I, I did know that there was some friends of ours in the past that had gotten divorced. One of the spouses got remarried. The other spouse got really jealous because they moved into a new subdivision with a new house. Mm -hmm. 
but during that original marriage, they specifically wanted to live in an older part of Dallas with an older house with character. And so I thought of that. I said, there's no way Betty would ever want to live in the city. Mm. But it's just that newness and that shininess. And especially when she's living in the Adams Mansion, <laughs> she's feeling pretty <laughs> drab, right? Where right. everything is still dark. I mean, Betty's eating in the dark there, remember? Yes. Um, later in the episode, when Henry sneaks into the kitchen late at night, of course it is late at night, but it's still dark. Yeah. And he's he's going to make some steak because Betty has kept the family on fish the whole week because of Weight Watchers. Of course, Betty gives him that sort of pep talk about how she's there for him, and, and she just kind of transposes what she heard at Weight Watchers about talking through your feelings and everything mm-hmm. like this. But Henry says he he thinks he might have backed the wrong horse. And, of course, is Betty also thinking, uh-oh, maybe I backed the wrong horse. I backed Henry instead of Don, and Don's living in this great apartment in New York City. And here I am in this dark house, overweight, and with a husband who's backed the wrong candidate. Yeah, that was one of those really explicit lines, which, I mean, it could apply to a lot of people. The, the, sure. I think he said that I bet on the wrong horse, and then the statement of regret, I jumped ship for nothing. And I think that's the one right. that she felt the most. It's like, yeah. I left yeah. Dawn, and for what? Here I am. I'm fat. I don't have Dawn. I have, but again, it's with her, who can be sympathetic, really? Because right. her husband now, is he's a good guy. I mean, he's... Oh, yeah. Great. Guy. There's nothing that she could be complaining about other than at that house. So it's hard to be sympathetic with her, but it was an obvious thing for her to hear and immediately internalized into her own perspective about what but, her life But she's, she's also, I mean, I don't want to say she's stuck with the kids, but she is sort of stuck with the kids most of the time. They only see Don on the weekends, and I think it's every other weekend. Um, and Don is sort of living this sort of playboy existence with a very sexy young wife in a pad instead of a the Adams family house Betty is jealous I mean Betty kind of lost her youth whereas Don keeps having his youth talking about sort of parallel themes I thought the bit about Megan running the lines with her friend there for the dark shadows television series was kind of interesting because I felt like one of the themes of the show is Roger and Pete sort of inheriting everything and Don having to make it on his own. And with Megan at Sterling Cooper Draper Price, whatever she did, everybody was always going to say, oh, well, she's succeeding because she's Don's wife. And now she's trying to be an actress and her friend throws the same thing back at her. Oh, well, you don't have to wait tables and you don't have to struggle to be an actress. You're sitting here on Park Avenue with your rich husband. So even if Megan succeeds as an actress, she has the same problem she had at Sterling Cooper Draper Price, which is she's not struggling like the rest of us. And I just thought that was a kind of an interesting theme that Roger felt always feels the same way. My father gave me this business. I inherited it. And no matter what I do, no matter what success I achieve, everybody's going to say I'm succeeding because my father gave me this business. I really agree with you. That was one of my favorite scenes of the episode. Uh, First off, what is this? Because, you know, now then Dark Shadows is an accepted cult classic and we just recently did the movie reboot, but you know, the mm-hmm. thought of it, you know, and what is this crazy soap opera? 
and the whole her friend being incredibly jealous of her and the judgment of, well, how dare you worry about me going criticizing my chance at a small role because you're safe and, you know, up here in your tower. And I did feel a little sad for Megan because she is trying to do on her own. She is almost in a no-win scenario. Mm-hmm. And she does yeah. recognize, too, that she's lucky. She acknowledges it. She states it. She says, I am lucky, and I yeah. don't have to try out for these roles that I don't really want to do because I do get to live here. And I think it wasn't really said in a snooty way like maybe Betty would have said. She's just a very likable character. And even there's other things that happened in this episode, which I found myself even more in her camp and on her on her side because yes. of what she does. She's just a really... I'm surprised because, honestly, last season when Dawn proposed to her, I was like, uh, God, you know, this character that came out of nowhere now, she's going to be like this main thing. And I don't know if I'm really... You know, I just didn't think I would be invested in her. And I've found that they've managed to make her likable, but not in a way that's like, you know, she's not like going and saving kittens from a tree or whatever. She's just being a nice overall person, not to the point where she's like just too perfect, but you end up rooting for her because she just seems like she's a good person. Maybe among all these other jackasses, maybe that's why there's a, a contrast and like you just want to root for the person who is like nice and wants to be helpful to people and, and is hurt when people that she is nice to turn around and bite her back like Sally. Before we talk about Sally, I wanted to ask you both a question. One of the things that we have discussed in previous episodes is Matthew Weiner's statement that no matter how unlikable Don acts, people like him. No matter how likable Betty is, people dislike her. Did you think it was unlikable for Don to leave the other pitch in the cab? He made the decision. He told them, we're going with one, and he picks his pitch. Was that, and maybe am I skewed in my, you know, the past 12 years I've been a manager of people, that sometimes your decision as the team, you have to override the team's decision because you go, it's ultimately my ass on the line, and so I'm going to have to go with what I believe in? Or did you guys think it was kind of a jerk move of his? It was both. Okay. <laughs> it was, there's a difference because it wasn't just his gut telling him, I think this is a better ad. It was his ad. If Peggy had come up with that devil ad, you know, the other guys had said, well, I think the snowball one, you know, works better than the devil is good too. But would he have done the same choice? I don't think so. I think he was like, damn it. I don't want this kid to get all the accolades. He's looking at this stuff at the beginning of the episode. It's like, let's submit this one. Let's submit this one. Man, that kid's name is on all of them. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm, not yet, kid. I'm going to take this one, and I'm going to sell this one, and, I'm, and they're going to buy it, and screw you. But that's his prerogative because he is the top guy. I mean, to compare to like The Sopranos, I often do this because in my mind, the shows structurally are similar. Obviously, they're in terms of like the content are very different. But for Tony Soprano to make a boss decision, usually that involves capping someone or just doing something really just hideously immoral, which was why I wasn't like totally into The Sopranos like some people were. Whereas like with this show, Don does some things that are not really, like his morality isn't quite perfect. And he does some things that are bad, but he never stoops to the level, you know, he's not killing someone or he's not doing right. things like that. He's making a business decision he's, and he's stepping on some underling's toes, but that's the way it works. 
You know, it's interesting because you think about Don's motivations, and a lot of his motivations come from his childhood and what he saw his father do, Archibald. But I have to think about the motivation here from, again, from I think season three, where Conrad Hilton kind of takes advantage of Don in many ways, calls him at all hours of the day and night, really treats him like his own personal plaything. The last conversation that Don has with Conrad Hilton is when Conrad Hilton tells him that Powell, Putnam, and Lowe has been bought by McCann Erickson. Hilton thinks that Don will be in good shape, but uh, he feels, you know, the small boutique firm that Don works at is over. Those days are over. All those people will be consumed by McCann, and Don doesn't want to do that. He does not want to work in what he calls a sausage factory, and he gets pretty ticked off. And Conrad Hilton says, Don, this is business. It happens all the time. Things change. You know, get used to it. So I think here's an example of Don learning from Conrad Hilton. This is business. It's not personal. They're not out to get me, Don Draper. They're not out to get Ginsburg. This is business. This is what I'm doing. And I really liked how at the ending, Ginsburg is really pissed. His ego is bruised. He's unhappy. He's almost insubordinate to Don. Mm-hmm. And then him, I feel sorry for you. Don goes, I don't even think about you. <laughs> Which was a little mean-spirited, but I think it was kind of nice to put him in his place. And that's why I said, you know, I kind of see Don's point, And, you know, we made the sale. You have a lot of good work in front of you. As he told Peggy, right, that's what the money's for. Right, right. I pay you for your ideas. That's what the money's for. The the other thing is, though, interestingly, I think, is that maybe Weiner is trying to show us that the times they are changing and younger people are feeling their oats and talking back to older people in a way they wouldn't have in the early seasons of this show. And that's because society is changing and the, and the mores are changing. So we have a couple of examples in this episode of younger people or underlings, as you say, dressing down older people. I mean, Peggy certainly dressed down Roger in the elevator over the Manischewitz uh, or the Monarch wine situation. So that's one thing. And then, as you said, you know, Ginsburg kind of being insubordinate with Don there. So that's another one. And then even Sally kind of <laughs> mouthing off to Megan about, um, about Anna Draper. I mean, she was very, very fresh there, I thought. Well, she even talked back to Don. I mean, she, to her father, she had some things that she said to him. And Mm -hmm. I remember a scene from an earlier season. Again, I don't remember which one it was, but the Drapers had someone come over to their house as a guest. And the kids were running around, and the guest ran into, like, one of the younger kids. And the kid did something wrong. And he just slapped him in the face. Like, it wasn't even his kid. It was like, holy shit, I can't believe that happened. Right. And contrast that with now, it's like Sally is just like mouthing off. She's just like asking you like to being, have some sort of, you know, reprimand or just something harsh. That insubordination is just so fierce. And Megan especially just calmly talks and says, you know, I'm your friend and you're treating me this way. And even Don doesn't take the bait and just yeah. is calm about it. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about Sally. I mean, Sally, there's times when I really feel like she is just such a Betty in training. It's like she just has this vindictiveness in her, and obviously she's learned it from her mother. And in this episode, Betty starts it off with, why don't you ask her about Anna? So then Sally goes and does 
as you know Betty instructs and causes a bunch of commotion. It was her reaction later when she sees Don and Megan discussing it and overhears the, mm. well, this is because she's trying to poison us from 50 miles away. And yeah. I thought that was a great moment for Megan, wasn't it? It's a great yeah, moment was, for her. I, again, that's why I continually am like more... Impressed by her? I'm impressed by her. I'm in a corner and I oh, just... Yeah. And I think, again, this is such a advancement for Don in terms of like our relationship because he at first is really angry. You know, let me make the call. Get out here. This isn't your choice. And then he goes to, you're right, I'm sorry. And he is. And he sees the error of what he was about to do. But back to Sally. Um, her hearing that conversation and her kind of like sinking back into the shadows after she hears that, you know, you wonder like what is going through her mind. And then when she tells Betty later that, uh, oh, I brought it up and they explained it and you know, that was it. And her seeing Betty's reaction, like I said, she has this mother as an influence. But on the other hand, side, she does have... I mean, Megan is like her stepmother, but she's also says she's her friend. So is her mother her friend? You know, at times she's been anything but. So, You know, one of the things is, if we remember correctly, Megan was babysitting for them. You know, and so they had developed a relationship before Megan married her dad. I also thought it was really interesting the way Sally tried to manipulate everyone. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't a, hey... Mom mentioned that you were married before. What is this? I mean, no, she used this as a tool to be angry at Megan and like, what are you going to do? Go fake cry now? (laughs) You know, and then, of course, when it's fixed, she goes back to her mom. Oh, yeah, they told me all about it. And, you know, so she's manipulating both sides of the fence fairly well. Oh, she's doing it beautifully. She's playing them like, you know, like a violin. You know, I guess Weiner's trying to show that. When you have a, a smart kid like Sally, who actually, the reason I liked her at the beginning of this series is that she was the only one who actually spoke the truth. Uh, she's not doing that anymore. She is playing both sides of the fence. She has two sets of parents now, and she is playing it beautifully. And I do agree with you that I thought it was a realistic Don getting mad. This has nothing to do with you. And Megan not responding angrily, just keep talking to them and they work it out. And that's a big movement of Don, I think, emotionally to say, you're right, I was wrong. Well, especially, yeah, especially considering just a few episodes ago, the way he reacted when he just left her in Pennsylvania and just took off. I think that was a really big departure. And I think just in a few episodes that um, he's made a change there. Coincidentally, this episode was directed by the same person that directed that episode. And we're moving through a lot of time. I mean, right, we were in the summer, and now it's Thanksgiving. And, you know, back to your point, Megan's really good with all three kids. She seems to be. She seems to be engaged and a pretty active stepmom is that she can be. Sally's story was really good this time. Yeah. In fact, I'm liking the episode more that we talk about it. So I mean, <laughs> if we were the type of podcast that did ratings, my rating would have changed from when uh-huh. I, we started till the end. <laughs> Just really quick about the time you mentioned, since it is now almost the end of, what is this, 1966 or 7? It is 66. I just checked. I did a little bit of research on the Mohawk Airlines because mm-hmm. I want to see, you know, just how real that was or whatever. And actually, it did exist. It turns out Mohawk eventually was sold to this other company and it became U.S. Air and all this other things like that. 
But mm. they had a few events that happened in the 60s. They did have a plane crash in, I believe it was 1967. And I don't remember the month or the day. but And they had another one, I think, in 69. So I'm anticipating at some point them having to deal with a Mohawk accident. Mm. So I would be surprised if they didn't write that in somehow. Since 66 is coming to a rapid close, uh, 67 just around the corner, and I'm not sure again what month that happened in, but depending on how much they still continue playing with time, we might actually see that event occur in this season, so who knows. Hmm. Yeah. What was your favorite line of the show? There are many good lines as usual. Mm-hmm. If we were going to go specific Roger line, I mm-hmm. loved the idea, I need to start carrying less cash. Yeah, (laughs) you know and then i am not normally a pete fan but i do the i got an idea why don't you stay in the city and i'll go home and screw your wife and the guy laughs and laughs on the train and i'm just sitting there going wow if you only knew how much he really meant that yeah also some of roger's lines in the elevator with pete were pretty funny when pete you know, is boasting about this New York Times interview and how long it took. It took him, you know, a few hours to do this interview. And all they wanted to talk about was me. And Roger says, well, you you know, you shouldn't have started with the Mayflower. And then, (laughs) um, you know, he begins, he begins by saying, my new best friend is at the New York Times. And Roger says, oh, you're starting a paper route? You know, and and that was good. What did you think of, and this is a small thing at the very end, but at the end, Don wakes up. He says, it's really hot in here. And what's, it seems like it's really boiling. And she says, no, the air is on. And there's a moment where he stops, looks out the window, and there's that sort of stillness. There's a fog, or she says, like a smog type mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. shot. And it's quiet for a second. And I thought that was interesting because I've been saying for a while, like, what's the overall strategy with Don this season? Mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. the thing with him? I'm wondering if there's like a few little pieces here and there from scattered episodes that are starting to like click into place. Like that was similar to the previous episode with him looking down the elevator shaft again. Mm-hmm. Everything stops. There's quiet. It's a visual pop. You see it. You absorb it. You're like, what's that? Same thing here. He stops. He looks out the window. Again, it's like he's looking off into something. And those pieces individually, they don't, they mean something, but collectively, will they piece into something larger and maybe it doesn't connect to the previous thing and maybe it's just like you know he's saying it was really hot and i mean he's, he's like the devil in that his ad where he's like in his own hell and but it was an mm. odd thing just to like it was it's a beat that like sticks in the scene and it's like that really had no purpose for anything else in the episode so what was the intent of it are they trying to remind us that there were fewer emission controls and, and, and air pollution <laughs> controls in those days than there are now? I don't know. I'm reminded of a scene, I think it was in season one or two, where the Drapers are having a picnic in the park. Yeah, and he just and rips they, up the tablecloth and they just take off and the rubbish yeah, is still they, just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. they throw their yeah. beer can, Don throws his beer can, you know, mm-hmm. and they think nothing of it. And I don't know. I'm not sure what he was trying to show there. So the only thing I can think is we have seen several scenes, you know, when Don was sick, he got a glass of water and it was almost brown. The water was so bad. (laughs) And then we've seen Sally, you know, tell her confidant, Glenn, New York's dirty. Of course, she Mm. was talking about something else. 
right. then now then we've got another scene where you are obviously the you know smog is yeah. just everywhere so this is almost like they're hitting us over the head with the dirtiness how things are going so i think there's got to be something more to it than just that but that has been a theme there is a lot of decay going on currently in the city yeah and speaking of themes and dirty my prediction last week that we would get an upping of the sexual acts in mad men almost came true i mean we had that the fantasy, as we talked about earlier with Pete, I was really rooting for that to mature a little bit. But uh, <laughs> all right, they cut it short, but it was very suggestive. I thought it was really good. Very suggestive and very, very, you know, how you were thinking of the hand model, Brian. Right. I'm thinking, mm. wow, they must have to have some really good tape to keep <laughs> that coat right there. Yeah, and it's I was not thinking that slipping. too. <laughs> Cuz uh you know, yeah. it is just I mean, it is so close to being eligible for stars and not AMC. Right. Very interesting. Just in terms of the direction of the show, there was a few things I thought were really well done. Just starting back from the beginning when Betty was in the apartment, when she first walks in, they had her come in and her reflection was like in this mirrored part. Mm. of the hallway there and i i always pay attention when they anyone shoots somebody with a reflection that's always right it's always telling in some way and then right. later when she and megan are facing each other they're again outside that infamous window with the later the smog and betty's on the right side megan's on the far left side megan's wearing black betty's wearing white it was like completely like a another it was almost like a reflection maybe that's what it was meant to imply that she comes in her own reflections there. Then a couple of seconds later, another reflection, except one that she's not liking. Yeah. And then another thing I thought was a nice parallel was the Dawn riffing through the papers of the ad ideas in the office. And then later, Betty riffing through the artwork papers and her finding something as just as Dawn had found something. I thought that was a good parallel there. And another thing which very obvious, used all the time in movies and TV, is when Jane and Roger are in the apartment, and then there's a sound of a train in the distance, and they cut to the actual train of Pete riding on it. So just one of those classic, people are about to have sex, cue the train noise, and, <laughs> and then actually visually go to Pete on a train. So they did it both audibly and uh, visually there. And the last thing I would say, too, is I thought that they shot the Draper apartment a little differently than we'd seen before. We seem to have seen different shots of like into the kitchen. And again, that probably had much to do with the overall theme of like food and just Betty's uncomfortable being around that and her struggles with eating and food and things like that. I think directors often try to find a new, some new angle to shoot on, on a set. And I think this time they said, well, let's, let's shoot towards the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that the, dialogue where everyone's going around the table what are we thankful about i'm thankful that no one has it any better than me or, or something oh, it's yeah yeah oh, that was just really really sad yeah i have everything i want and no one has it better than me or something like that yes. and that was just like oh really uh-huh yeah if she says that enough uh, times she'll believe it yeah. Right. I thought we should just talk about sort of the overall theme of the episode, and that to me was sort of people staking out their territories. I mean, Peggy sort of staking out her territory. I'm the top copywriter, and then Ginsburg kind of saying, I am, and 
Don even trying to get back into the ideas business, Roger trying to get back into the accounts business. So there's a lot of people, a lot of people trying to stake their claim to various positions. And as somebody said, I think, uh, I think Roger said, you know, every man for himself, which I thought, you know, on so many levels was interesting because obviously he said it to Peggy. <laughs> he could have said every person for himself, but okay. And how many times has Peggy heard that over the, the course of this series? I mean, I can certainly remember Michael Kinsey. or Paul, Was it Paul or Michael? You remember Kinsey from I think it was Paul, what, season wasn't it? one, two, and three? I think it was, it was Paul. Paul, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Paul at some point getting very territorial with Peggy and telling her more or less every man for himself, I'm not working with you anymore. I'll do my work. You do your work. So, I mean, she's heard that so many times. Yeah, I think the flip side of that is everyone was envious of everyone else. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get ahead, but, you know, Betty envious of the body Mm -hmm. in the apartment, Megan's friend envious that Megan is independently, you know, being able to pursue this. Don actually envious that his work, he's not the hotshot idea Mm -hmm. guy anymore. And Roger envious he still wants to be vital and you know, him and Burke kind of working together to show that the old dogs still have a few new tricks and everything. So definitely everyone trying to stake their territory and kind of envious about what the other peoples have in their territory. So so any quick thoughts about where we think we're going? We're almost done with the season, aren't we? Yeah, maybe yeah. four episodes left. Is that right? Yeah. Three or four? That's right. Are we going to get to 67, or...? I think so. If they're already at Thanksgiving, that's only a month to cover for four episodes, and I think they will get in there some way. I'm still waiting for Don to be a character that chooses his his direction. This episode, he did move forward with his own two feet. He made a decision, leave this one ad in the car, go do this myself. The last few episodes, it seemed like things are happening around him. He's sort of like being taken along with the force of these other characters' actions and motivations. I'm still waiting to see what is it that he is going to do that is going to influence where he ends up at the end of this season. Because so far he's been, you know, it's been good for him. He's been a good husband. He hasn't cheated. He hasn't done anything. But that means that he's not really doing much more than the status quo of going to work, doing his job. It doesn't get him in trouble, but that's that's good for him. But it's not as good for a drama where you need conflict and things to resolve. So uh, I'm waiting to see what happens there. And with Peggy, she, on the other hand, seems to have done a lot this season. She's made inroads. She's making a change in her life personally. She's definitely grown in the yeah. role. No question yes. about it. To me, the overarching question here, and I mean, it's it's not overarching, but it's it's a question. Is Don really a true blue husband now, or is he going to stray again? To me, I mean, I know that's not really terribly important, but yeah, I, I just want to know. I'm kind of interested in... Is Pete going to end up just keep being so Petish, or is he going to end up finding a little happiness? Will we see a uh, thin Betty by the end of the season? Uh-huh. I keep expecting someone to snap and do something extraordinary, and not an extraordinary like a great, oh, good for you way, but in a bad way that affects other people. And at first I thought it might be Pete because he was just really upset, but then he got smacked down so bad by Lane, I think he's going to be a bit meek for a while 
He'll still be a prick, but he won't be barking as loudly. I'm still not sure what Ginsburg is up to in terms of his motivations and you know just how what's very up with him because he's, he's a he's a strange character he's a very mysterious personality yeah. so we'll see okay so i think that does it for this episode again you can find us on the net at madcast.net you can also find us on itunes and facebook if you look up scotch and smokes thanks again for subscribing everyone until next time the bar is open thanks for listening bye-bye bye everyone bye-bye <laughs>